quiet. What? It's a silent movie. We don't have a sketch. There's nothing for us to say. So we're just going to sit here and say nothing? Like... Yes, we're going to sit here and say nothing. We're just... You keep ruining it. We just need okay, silence. I'll, I'll, I'm, okay, I'm going to just sit here and be quiet. Okay. Okay. How long How long do you think we should be quiet for, Steve? I ask you... How long, do okay, our, you how, long, how long do our little skits usually last? I have no idea. Sometimes they're, they're 15 seconds, and sometimes they're like three minutes long. We'll just sit here until something funny happens. Oh, okay. Wait, was that funny? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I'm Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is very good, isn't it, Steve? Uh-huh. And what movie are we going to be oh. reviewing this time around? Oh, buddy, we will be reviewing one of the great masterpieces of silent cinema, arguably, in the minds of most people, the, the preeminent masterpiece of one of the greatest of all of the silent comedians and one of the greatest of all filmmakers, period. Um, we are going to be reviewing the 1926 Buster Keaton film, The General. Yay, The General. Oh, Steve. Yes, <laughs> yes, my friend. I forgot a lot. I haven't seen this in a little while. I it forgot had, a lot. It had been a while since I saw it, too, actually. Hasn't, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It certainly is good to know that I've changed and grown since the last time I've seen it. Indeed. Because, boy, oh, boy, there's a lot of cons- Confederate dick-sucking in this guy. There's, there's, there's more than I would like, yes. I mean, ideally... The, 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 even a little is too much. Ideally, ideally, my, my preference is none. Yeah, exactly. Um, Can and, I just have none? If anything, I'd, re- I'd prefer to see Confederates get kicked in the balls. Sure, repeatedly. Rather than have their dick sucked, but, you know... So Even in a silent movie, it would be great. It would be fantastic, because, you know, especially if you get, like, the old-fashioned soundtrack where it's like, you know, the Wurlitzer organ, and they do the Wurlitzer mm-hmm. organ sound effects when the guy gets kicked in the nuts, it'll be like... Wow, wow. Have you, you ever know, gone like, to a movie that had the Wurlitzer organ playing yeah, a silent I, I, film? I, actually, a bunch of times. There's... Uh, there's a, a an old Tivoli movie house that was restored in Frederick. That's about 45 minutes from where I live, and they have a. Uh, I think they. St- I haven't been for a long time, but I think they still do it. They have like a uh, a monthly movie program where they show a silent movie, and they still have their original Wurlitzer Music. organ. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, so they it's like a live accompaniment with with the organ, just like it would have been in 1925 when the theater opened. So it's it's wonderful. Yeah. Actually, I've ne- I haven't awesome. seen I haven't seen the general like that, but I've seen a couple of other Buster Keaton movies like that. It's fantastic. I saw the Phantom of the Opera like that. Oh, cool! It was great. I bet was that great. was great. I bet that was fantastic. Anyway, Steve, do you have any trivia for the general? I do have some trivia for the general. Okay. You want to hear, hear it? it. You, want, you want to hear the trivia? I do want to hear okay. it. I'm excited. I'm, okay. So we're running long, so I want to make sure. That we... <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's get to it. So um, this movie is very loosely based on a real incident uh, yes during the Civil War where Union spies uh, stole a Confederate train and rode the train back toward the northern lines and tore up the railroad tracks along the way and the whole idea Wreck was and to, shop all the yeah, way down yeah. yeah to disrupt the Confederate 
transport of goods and material and stuff. And eventually they were, uh, the in real life, the people who did this were, were chased down and were captured and, and most of them were hanged. Um, yes, they were. The, uh, the incident was the basis for more films than just this one. It was also the basis for a movie called The Great Locomotive Chase, yeah. uh, produced by Disney in 1956. Oh, that must have been great. Starring Davy Crockett himself, Fess Parker. Oh, boy, they didn't have anybody else to cast in the Disney <laughs> movies, did they? <laughs> he, he was in everything in the 50s. And, and unlike Fuck. the general... Unlike the general, uh, the great locomotive chase was told from the Union perspective, and and Fess Parker, uh, you might, which you might not think. Is Wait, Fess are Parker. you sure it was a Disney movie in the nineteen fifties? From the perspective of <laughs> I the know. Union, I know it sounds incredible. Um, and Fess Parker played a Union spy who is who was the leader of the uh, of the group that stole the train. Um, Yay! So yeah. That must have been um, weird for him. He must have felt weird the entire time. Yeah, because well, I haven't actually seen The Great Locomotive Chase, but when I looked it up for this, I, I, I saw Fess Parker, and I, I automatically assumed, well, he's playing some Confederate guy, right? Sure. Uh, no, he plays he plays a Union guy. So Cool. Yeah. Do you have any more um, trivia? Yeah. So the movie is set in Georgia, um, mm-hmm. but, it, but it was actually shot in Oregon. Yes, it was. And the reason they shot it in Oregon was because at the time the movie was being filmed, Oregon still had a bunch of miles of railroad tracks that were the same gauge as the antique trains that they used in the production. Uh, yes. The, the trains that were used in the general uh, had a had a, a more narrow gauge, and the gauge is the length, the difference, the the space between the wheels, basically. Um, the space between the two rail ties. The, so the rails, they yeah. Certain, the, they were a certain width apart. Yeah, and the uh, they had some more old fashioned narrow gauge track still in place in Oregon that fit their trains, so that's where they shot it. And they also used, um, and and I think in the there's a couple of shots where we see big groups of soldiers marching. And most of those extras are from the Oregon National Guard that were suited up in either Confederate or Union costume and marched back and forth to to play the parts of of the soldiers. Um, I'm being quiet because it's a silent movie and it's throwing Steve off because I'm not reacting to what he's saying. You're not if if it's a silent movie, you shouldn't be talking at all. I'm sorry. I just want you to throw up saying, title cards. I want you, you need to make, you need to get a dry erase board and make title cards and hold them up. And then the people <laughs> listening, the people listening will be completely lost. They'll be like, oh is, yeah, they will. They're just, the only people who get it are the ones that, that uh, are Patreon subscribers. And they will think it's so funny. They will. No one else will. No one else will. <laughs> well then, hey, you know, throw, throw, <laughs> throw a buck at the Patreon if you want to see what's so goddamn funny. Um, okay. Any more trivia? Any more trivia, Steve? Yeah. So the uh, they they the most famous thing about the movie is probably that Buster Keaton really did blow up a bridge and wreck a train. Yes, for he did. the shot of the train wreck, it was uh, a real train falling on a real bridge that was set on fire and collapsed. Um, <laughs> he uh, he shot that using six cameras because obviously they only had one take. That's right. Uh, it the the hulk of the train remained in that river until World War II when it was salvaged for scrap. Yep. And 
That was the most expensive single shot of the entire silent era, uh, which wound up being not so great for Buster Keaton's career because no, but I mean, uh, he still made movies after. Well, he still made, well, unfortunately, yeah, he still made movies after this, but unfortunately the general was not a, a success at the time. It was actually, it was not a critical success or a commercial success. Um, and because it's, performance was so disappointing it wound up being the end of buster keaton's career as an independent filmmaker he moved to mgm sure. right after this um mm -hmm. he made one last great film with mgm which was the cameraman and mm -hmm. uh and then after that he lost creative control and that was sort of the end of his career as buster keaton i mean he, you're right he continued to work in the movies for many years after that but he was never like yes, a star uh after that um but everything comes around and despite all of the things that, you know, how it was perceived when it came out, Buster Keaton always thought of it as his favorite of his films. And yeah. today it's considered by most people to be Keaton's best film and, and also to be one of the greatest films ever made. So ha ha, people who didn't like it in 1926. <laughs> yeah, you were too busy sucking Charlie Chaplin's uh, yeah. big emotional penis. You love him. You love the tramp. Pay more money for my movies. <laughs> exactly. But it's the depression. It's the dep we're, we're, we don't have any money. I don't care. You're going to pay more. I am your you. god. Charlie. I am your silent mustachioed <laughs> god, and you will pay me what I ask. <laughs> okay, that was great trivia. Thanks, Steve. You're welcome, buddy. You ready for who made it? Yeah. Okay, it was directed by Clyde Bruckman. Not only did he work with Keaton, but he also worked with W.C. Fields, Laurel Hardy, The Three Stooges, Abbott and Costello. He did a lot. It was also directed, <coughs> pardon me, by Buster Keaton. And he's in Sherlock Jr., College, Steamboat Bill Jr., ton, tons of stuff. Mm -hmm. he's, he's done a lot of work. He came back pretty briefly in the 1960s when some people were like, I don't really know if I like Charlie Chaplin, but this guy, he's onto something. His, his stuff is funnier. <laughs> This guy's good. He doesn't repeat a joke ever, does he? In this movie, <laughs> no, I don't. Th he, I don't know if he ever did at any point in any of his films. Exactly, he did a gag. He yeah. trusted that the audience saw the gag. I'll, I'll use an example. In this movie, there's a point where he's hiding out in the bushes and he gets up to leave, and his hat gets stuck in the crook of a branch. Yeah, right. For Charlie Chaplin, that would have been a 15-minute scene of him repeating the same yeah. thing where he You're finds right. the hat, puts it back on, turns around to leave, the hat gets stuck in the branch, he goes, huh? And he turns around, he does a, you know, some kind yeah. of gimmick where he slams a hat on his head and walks, and he goes, ha-ha, and then something else. It would be forever. In this movie, it's a single gag. Yep. His hat gets cut, it confuses him for a second where the, where the hat is, <laughs> and then he finds it, he puts it on, and he continues on with the story because there is one <laughs> yes there is <sighs> anyway uh screenplay by al Bo uh, bosberg who also worked on freaks and a night at the opera and a day at the races also co-written by clyde bruckman i mentioned him above buster keaton the same thing charles henry smith and paul gerard smith that's a lot of writers Yes, it is. But a lot of That's these guys, funny. a lot of these guys were, were, were mostly contributing bits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he gave them credit. Yes. It's not like a Charlie Chaplin film where it's a Charlie <laughs> Chaplin film directed and starred, starring Charlie Chaplin with it's music like, by Charlie Chaplin. Where the, the credits say Charlie Chaplin did everything and there's an asterisk and then there's a tiny little footnote at the bottom with like a hundred people's names. <laughs> <laughs> 
based on The Great Locomotive Chase by William Pittenger, and a much longer title like The Great Locomotive Chase as told by a footman in the Union Army from 1944 to 1945. He had three warts on his back, and oh boy, he liked to be called Charlie when he went to the tavern. His favorite drink, beer. Yeah. It was something along like that. Titles were different Produced, back then. Yeah, they were. Produced by Joseph Schenck. Um, he partnered with uh, Zanuck to create 20th Century Pictures, which became 20th Century Fox. Yep. Also, also produced by Buster Keaton, starring Buster Keaton. How about as that? Johnny Gray. He he thought hard on that name, Johnny Gray. <laughs> Marion Mack as Annabelle Lee. Movies. All of these people did a lot of movies. Mm. Glenn Cavender. Wow, boy, that's a good name. Glenn Cavender. Yeah. As Union Captain Anderson. 250 movies between 1914 and 1949. Mm. I mean, they just cranked them out. Mm-hmm. Frederick Vroom. Okay, there's nobody on the planet whose last name is Vroom. That's not possible. V-R-O-O-M. That is only a comic book. That is only a comic book sound. He must have made it up. But he's a Confederate general. And he did 70 films between 1912 and 1939. Charles Smith is Annabelle's father. Nothing. Frank Barnes is Annabelle's brother. Nothing. Joe Keaton as a Union general. He's Buster Keaton's dad. Yes, and he's been in a bunch. He's because in a bunch of Buster's Because unlike Charlie Chaplin, he had maintained a healthy relationship with his father, <laughs> who actually brought him. Both of his parents were performers, and he was a performer as a little kid. And he maintained a relationship with both his parents, and so he put his dad in the movie because he's a nice guy, and we should we should look up to him. Yes, maybe he had a little problem with the drinky drink later on when no one wanted to make his movies. And everyone wouldn't shut up about Charlie fucking Chaplin. But that oh, was a personal issue. City Lights. That was a personal City issue. City Lights, so fantastic. Did you hear it took him two and a half years to make it? And meanwhile, Buster Keaton pumped out this action-adventure comedy <laughs> in three months with battle scenes and train gags and all of this other stuff, literally putting his ass on the line. Meanwhile, all he hears from out of studio lot... Well, no, Charlie Chaplin had his own production company, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So he can keep everything secret. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And they had signs on the walls outside of it. Walkers by, ignore what you hear inside, or we will kill you. <laughs> Signed, tra- Sign the little tramp. Um, <laughs> well, like a photo of him doing that little smile. They're like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Mike Donlin, as a union general, Mike Donlin was a uh, baseball player, and uh, he played for the New York Giants. Yeah, you, had, uh, you told me this before we yeah. started recording. I did not realize, yeah. and he's he was like a great player. He, he was he was a great player. He had a three thirty three career batting average. He ranks 28th of all time. Um, he was a great guy, and I also told you this earlier, that when they had downtime, when they were riding along the tracks, they looked for places where they could go play baseball. Yeah. Hey, Steve. Yeah, Jason. Do you think Charlie Chaplin even knew what baseball was? I don't think so. Or not give a shit? He probably was into, like... He was like, British. He was into cricket, cricket and soccer and all those <laughs> British sports. Yeah. Cricket, soccer, pederasty. All of that. <laughs> all, all that British stuff. Fuck him. <laughs> And Tom Nunn as Union General. Nothing. Cinematography by Bert Haynes. Nothing. Devereaux Jennings. Nothing. Edited by Buster Keaton and Sherman Kell. 
Nothing, Music by William P. Perry. Now, this got released several times with new soundtracks. Yes. I think about seven times. But the original was William P. Perry. Production companies, Buster Keaton Productions. Let's play taps for them, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) You had a good run, Buster. Yeah, you did. Joseph M. Schenck Productions, distributed by United Artists. Hey, hey, wait a minute. United Artists? That was Charlie Chaplin's company. Charlie Chaplin? You think Chaplin gave it like a shitty distribution just out of spite? Yep. Well, we'll see how many theaters this plays in. Exactly. That's exactly what I think he did. That's exactly what I think he, he, he went did. To, he went to a screening and was like, oh, this is too good. No, no, no. This won't like, do well, it. Well, it can't be a Fairbanks. There's no competition there. But oh, what? A comedy? A comedy man? <laughs> oh, I don't think so. Mm-mm. The plays range in a multitude of different characters. What? <laughs> Fuck you, Buster. <laughs> You're only, you're, you're, it's only playing in 10-seat theaters <laughs> and midnight. <laughs> Release date, February 5th, 1927. Running time, 75 minutes. Eight reels. Perfect. Budget, $750,000. Adjusted for inflation, $12.6 million. And hey, Steve, you can see it on the screen. Isn't that weird? When you, you spend a lot of money and you can actually see it on the screen? Weird, yeah. You mean like how they shot on location and had lots of extras and lots of big set pieces and stunts and stuff instead of just shooting it all yeah, on the Yeah, they destroy a train. and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. they wreck a real train for real for one yeah. shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why did City Lights cost more? Well, we talked about this oh, when reshoots. Yeah, well, <laughs> when we reviewed it, because and because he kept the uh, he kept the entire cast and crew on standby, so whenever he felt like shooting, he could call everybody in. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> but the difference is, that City Lights made its money back. Uh, yeah. Well, because he charged because so much he, for tickets. He charged more. He charged more for his movies. <laughs> <laughs> I know right now, dear audience members, hello, it is I, Charlie Chaplin, and I know that you're looking at an apple. Well, actually, an apple, a loaf of bread and milk, and wondering if you should buy those things for your family or purchase a ticket to City Lights. (laughs) (sighs) All right, box office, one million. Or 16.8 million, so it made its money back. It wasn't a flop. No. Not a total flop. Hey, it was no birth of a nation, but how would that anything <laughs> well, Thank God it was no birth of a nation in other ways, too. <laughs> got close. Yeah, yeah. It got close. Yeah, it, got un- it gets, there's some uncomfortable parts, as we will, we will yes, discuss. Yes, there is, yes. and we'll get to them as, yeah. as we do the recap. Yeah. Of this classic movie. The That's General. Right. Steve? Yes. Pick it. Blue, gray. Which one? Which one do you want? Blue uh, or gray? I mean, I would rather be blue. Buster's, Buster's technically in gray. Yes, although he Although he doesn't really have a uniform for most of the movie. No, no. So Because gonna, he's a disgrace to the South! <laughs> Which one do you want? I want gray? blue. I want blue. I don't want to be gray a... Gray I don't want to be a secession. Oh, no. Here you go. Okay, and here's fine. your sword. I surrender. Here's your cowboy hat. <laughs> 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 here's your porter. Okay. Oh, good. This is comfortable. <laughs> I don't like this. As an officer, you also have a team of servants. Here you yeah, go. Yeah, you go. they... You know what to do if they get out of line. Free them? I'm, I'm going to put on this blue uniform and <laughs> quietly hate you over that hedgerow. Okay? Okay. 
This is great. Have fun. Okay. Don't break character. I'm going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do okay. you. Take a train. Yeah. Something else we both love. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Into the world of the general. Steve. Yeah. Take it away. Trains. <laughs> and we immediately, we were three years old, just like me. <laughs> trains. It's Whenever a, you saw or heard a train. 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 Well, that, and that was Buster <laughs> Keaton, too. That's why he wanted to make the movie. So I when, love when someone handed him the Someone handed him the book, and that's probably what he said. Oh, trains. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm making this movie. Um, so yeah, we open with there's a, a there's a, a title card telling us after the credits and everything. The the there's a title card telling us that it's the uh, the Western and Atlantic Flyer. Yeah, uh, which is the 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 train, also known as the General. The actual engine is called the General, but the train is the Western and Atlantic yes. Flyer, and it's speeding into Marietta, Georgia, in the spring yeah. of 1861. That's right. And uh, what else do they tell us? He has two love. We see Buster Keaton. Oh, and yeah. He's in, yeah. Buster he's Keaton the is the engineer. And he, uh, yeah, the, the, it says he has two loves, his train and, and then it cuts to a close up of a poor, a little pocket portrait photograph of his sweetheart. Um, That's right. Annabelle. And then he uh, unzips his pants and starts humping the, the yeah. furnace. Yeah, well, because he they, loves his train. Too. That's what they did back in the day. You know, it was a close bond right. between a, a man and his train. Engineers were superstitious, superstitious folks. Yeah. If he's going to look longingly at his honey, he has to make sure that the train doesn't get upset. Exactly. He doesn't. You don't want a Thor's hammer situation. You know. No, definitely not. No. no. So he, he arrives in town. Everyone's like train. Yeah, and especially these two kids who are like. We love the train and we love you too because you are one with the train. And he's like, okay, that's mm-hmm. nice. And they're like, we're going to follow you around everywhere. And he says, oh, yeah. Okay. And they do. They, they do. They follow he, him around everywhere. He's like, I'm going to go to my girlfriend's house. You you want you don't want to come along for that. Yeah, we want to come along for that. Okay. They just follow him. They follow they him just behind. follow yeah. him. And his girlfriend comes outside, and she's got a book, and we get a close-up of her, and oh, doesn't she look sweet? And he's dressed out of his engineer, you know, he's washed up, Yeah, he's put on a suit, put on a hat. These kids are still following him. I hope they didn't stand there and watch him change. This is creepy. (laughs) They're just like staring coldly through the window into the engine. Is that what I'm going to look like when I grow up? Shut up. He walks, he's walking to her house, they're following him. And she hides, and then she starts following him. It's cute. Right? Yeah, yeah. He goes up. He doesn't know that she's following him. They go up to her front door. He he knocks. She doesn't show up. He's getting a little nervous. And then she comes up and says, like, can I let you in? And he's like, yes, I, just, I want in. I want in you. God, and I want that, in. That isn't what happened. Let me in! No. Uh, they do come in as well. The children. The one's kid, a guy. Yeah. I think one's a girl and one's a one's a boy. Yeah. I'm not sure. But yeah, two, the two kids come in and they like sort of make themselves at home. And Johnny's like, I kind of wanted to make out with my girlfriend, but these two weird kids are here. So he yep. so he so he does a bit where he he pretends that he's leaving and he stands up and gets his hat and goes to the door and politely opens the door so the kids can go out first. And as soon as they are both outside, he closes the door and goes back and sits back there. It's the first laugh out loud gag of it's the movie great. for me. It's beautiful. It's great. It's beautiful. The next out laugh out loud moment is when he gives her a picture of him <laughs> yes! standing in front of the train. And it's it's the entire train or the the entire engine like from 
from end to end. And then in the extreme foreground, right in like the lower third of the of the frame, it's him standing there with that haunted, expressionless Buster Keaton mm-hmm. face. <laughs> not smiling oh, at all. Not, oh, it is so funny. But then her brother comes home. Yeah. And the brother's like, uh-oh, SpaghettiOs, guess what happened? Um, there's a war for some reason. For yes, for 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 reasons that are not going to be explored. <laughs> there Fort is, Sumter has been bombed by there, who? We're not saying that part. We're just saying that it was been it's been fired upon. Look, there's a war. We all know what the deal is. Okay. <laughs> and he's like, Dad. And he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna enlist. And the brother's like, I'm gonna enlist too. Where you just found out that <laughs> war yeah. is broken down. Do they already have an enlistment office? Apparently, I guess. they leave. And and um, Johnny Gray gets up and he's leaving, and she's like, "You're gonna enlist too." And he's like, "Well, I get, I don't, I, I think so. I don't." Yeah, I, mm. he has. And she's like, "My my vagina's gonna dry up if you don't enlist in the army." And he's like, "Oh, I don't want that." Well, I'm definitely. I don't want to live like. <laughs> I don't want to live like Shapiro. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna enlist. Yeah. And so they go to town, and they built the town. Yeah, they did. They built an entire town in Oregon to shoot this movie at. Yes, they did. Right, but you know, you know, City Lights is better. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Because he was made by a genius. Um, they get to town, <laughs> and uh, he keeps jumping in. There is an enlistment office, and he keeps jumping in line. And we have some jumping in line gags that don't repeat themselves. That's right. right. He comes up with new jokes. Yes, he comes yeah. up with new jokes. And one of the new jokes is one of them is once they, he gets up, he gets up to the front of the line, and they say, they ask him what his occupation is. He says, I'm an engineer. And he says, no. No, no, we only want people we don't care about dying. Yeah, He's we got want skills. We want cannon fodder and you're more valuable if you can run the train. That's right. And so they say they reject him. They don't tell him why. Then he goes up and tries to disguise himself and that doesn't work by tipping his hat down and they send him along his way. Then he tries to steal people's slips. Yeah, that doesn't work either. Because <laughs> everyone is getting a slip every time that they, they give him a slip and they say, go report here. And he tries taking the slip and eventually the old man at the pop-up enlistment office throws him out. Right. And um, his girlfriend's father and brother see him and they make the assumption, that since they didn't see him in line, since he was first in line, that he didn't even attempt to enlist. Yeah. Right? And, and so when Annabelle talks to them they're like did she's like did johnny sign up and they're like he didn't even get in line yeah he's a disgrace to the south and she's like oh and you can hear her drying up yeah (laughs) he yeah tries to talk to her and she's like and he tries he tells her the truth they rejected me and she said don't lie i don't want you to speak to me again until you're in uniform that's right and now he's now he's bummed. Yeah. And we get that great shot. The most one of the most dangerous things he does in this movie. <laughs> yes. Is he sits down on the connector bar for the wheels of the train. Yes. Because he's upset. And the train pulls out and he starts going up and down. And when you're watching it, you're like, oh well, that's not that dangerous. It's funny. It's very cute. Because the train's moving and he's going up and down. Right. If he had moved his back one inch. He would have gotten sucked underneath those wheels yeah. and he would have died. Yeah, it's actually... If he had leaned yeah. back and he was going up, 
the bar underneath it would have crushed his spine. So it's really, really dangerous just for a cute sight gag. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Yep. <laughs> but Charlie Chaplin repeated a smoking gag five times and he's the genius. Just... I love I love your bitterness. I love your bitterness. Hate it. Hate it. I love I it. hate the fact that here is literally a genius of filmmaking. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, then we cut to the union, don't yeah. we? Well, no, I think it's it's a year later. And, it's a year and later. It's a year later. And then we get the union scene where there's a, a union officer who's like, hey, I have a plan. I have a group of 10 mm-hmm. men with 10 good men. I can steal a train. Uh, we're going to sneak in. Yeah. We're going to steal a train. And then we're going to tear ass when we, yeah. when we bring it back. We're going right? to haul. We're, we're going to go north and we're going to tear up the tracks and cut the supply lines. And burn down all these bridges. Yeah. And then the union troops can just march on in. And the other union guy's like, Johnny Reb doesn't deserve better. We should kill everyone we see. And they're like, yes, yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's leave a mark that they'll never, a permanent <laughs> scar out of the South. Ah, oh, yeah. Um, then we cut back to the train. Her brother is like, I'm going to go see daddy because he's been hurt. Right. He's... Who'd have thunk that someone would get hurt? No more. Oh. Imagine that. And they they look down towards the engineer, and they she sees uh, she sees a uh, Johnny, Johnny, and I can't remember how this works. Does she get she gets on the train? She, she is yeah. She gets on the train. I think maybe she's and going they're to gonna, visit. She's going to visit her. For her maybe father. she's going to visit, and her, brother her brother's just to, fucking yeah. off to and, you know, who knows where. <laughs> and yeah, and the train. So the train leaves, and then it stops for breakfast it stops at big shanty yeah and everybody yeah, and, and everybody gets off the train and that's when the group the union group with the, the 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 spies they get off and they're like okay now it's time to steal the train so yeah and there's like 20 of them mm. there's like 30 of them or something there's a bunch of them and um what we don't know is that um she got back on the train for some reason in the baggage car, right? No, in the in one of the freight freight cars. Why did she get back on? The I train think she needed. I think she needed money. She left something. She, she left something yeah. in her bag. Yeah, she got on to get something out of and her bag, and that's when they steal the train. So she's actually the only passenger still aboard because the plan. And they was disconnect to steal the passenger yeah. cars. They leave two of the freight cars, and they pull out, and um, everyone's like, "What the fuck?" And then. And then um, Johnny starts running after the, literally starts foot running after the train to try to catch it. Yeah. Right. Meanwhile, they've cut, and and this is uh, this was something that I forgot from the movie. And I said, oh, they're gonna. What if they telegraph ahead? And the minute I thought that, they show the Union guys stop the train, get up that pole, and cut the uh, the telegraph wires. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, great. They thought of that. Um, Johnny um, runs along, realizes he's trying to catch up to a train, but he finds one of those pull carts. Yeah, like a hand cart. You know, the kind that you, a hand cart that you pull, yeah. that you pump up and down. And he's going to chase after him. But what are the, what are the Union soldiers doing? Oh, they're, well, they're, they're tearing up the track. That's right. Yeah. And he hits a part of that torn up track and his push cart goes into the creek. <laughs> and they're just, they're continuing on. They're like... We're going to continue forward. In the meantime, he hits another Confederate um, camp. And he's like, hey, everybody, they've stolen the general. 
I need everybody to get on this train. We're going to catch up to him. We're going to give him what's for. And everyone gets onto the train and he takes off and it's not connected to anything. Yeah. So it's just. He leaves. Yeah. He leaves all the Confederate soldiers behind and he takes off after him. And now we actually have an honest to God fucking train chase. A train chase. Yep. With actual goddamn train cars. And so, oh, and he picks up, so he, he sees a cannon and he picks up the cannon, <laughs> right? And he puts it at the end of his, puts it at the end of his train. And they, what do they do? Don't they stop, don't the Union soldiers stop for a minute at like a, like a little rest area? They still, oh, and they've captured his girlfriend. Right. They found her and tied her up. Yeah. They found her and tied her up. And they don't want him catching up to them. Um, he sees them up ahead and he loads the cannon by himself and accurately. And um, <laughs> he lights the fuse. He runs <laughs> He runs up to the front of the car and um, some jostling occurs because of the damage they did to the tracks and it jostles the cannon. So now it's pointing directly at the back of his train. Yes, so it's pointing directly at the train, yeah. And he's trying to disconnect. Now he, oh God, he, every single one of these stunts, I wasn't not laughing because I was watching this dude do this. And yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ. He uncouples the cannon from the train, gets his foot caught yes. on the coupler. While the cannon's pointed right at him. While the cannon is pointed. I wasn't worried about the cannon. Yeah, because you know on. that's part of the movie. But, but yeah, he's, yeah exactly. he's, hang, he's hanging off the back of a moving train with his foot caught on something. And this is like really happening as he's shooting the scene. Mm-hmm. And um, he's now moving to the front of the train and nearly falling off like 15 times. They come to a bend, and thankfully the cannon, which is pointed directly at his his train, is now pointed at the guys who are ahead of him. Right. His train goes around the curve just in time to miss the cannonball. Exactly. And um, so they uncouple another freight car so that uh, they have less weight and also so they will run into it, right? Because he's following them on the track. Right. He does a thing where he has to stop, slow down. He's pushed the freight car ahead of him. He makes the switcher so it can go onto a sidetrack. And then he starts up again. But unfortunately, that sidetrack was just a turnout. <laughs> and it goes back onto the main line. And he still has he still has yeah. that that uh, that train in right. front of him. And he's, he's looking away. So he looks back and it's just, from his perspective, it's like it's just magically back there again. And he's like, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah, it's never... <laughs> Never move. <laughs> and so now they're, they're they're taking these huge ties and they're putting them onto the tracks, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the freight car hits it, and while he's dealing with the furnace, and he hits it, the the, the front freight car hits it and comes off the tracks along with the tie. And when he comes back, he looks out the window, and now it's gone. It's gone. He's like, and "What the hell?" He doesn't know where it went. <laughs> what the hell is this? It is such a great shot yeah. where he's just looking his, and it's gone. His utter confusion. Mm-hmm. So now we have the famous scene where he has to now get the tie off the tracks on a moving train yes. from the cow catcher by throwing the other log at it and it flips out of the way. Yeah. A stunt that if it had gone wrong, we would not have any more busters. Would probably have killed him because railroad ties are incredibly There's- heavy. There's a lot of things in this movie that if it had gone wrong, there would be no more Buster Keaton movies. Yeah. So in the meantime, he is still grabbing firewood to stoke the, to stoke the engine by himself. He has no firemen. And when he gets off 
the train's not moving. The wheels are just spinning. Right. And that's real. I've seen trained old trains do that. Where they're just spinning super fast because there's no grip between the, the between the the, time, the wheels on the train and the rail. Yeah, right. And he goes, he grabs, um, he grabs some sand and throws it underneath there. And while he's trying to grab some more sand, the train just takes off on its own. <laughs> he has to chase after it. Meanwhile, the bad guys have set fire to one of their freight cars and have put it in a covered bridge. Right. Right. So that it's so that it's burning. And then we watch Buster Keaton take a real train and drive it through a fire tunnel, right? Yep. Steve? (laughs) Yes? This movie didn't make any money? No. Can you imagine? How did this movie... Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. Okay, so now the train has reached the southern army that's facing Chattanooga, and they're being told to retreat. Yeah. Right? So we have all these these soldiers retreating, and you have the Union guys, one of whom is dressed like a like a Southern soldier, heading towards the North. And you have Keaton, who's not dressed like anything; he's just wearing his his uniform. His engineer. They clothes, all yeah. ducked in. They're on the Southern side, so they all duck down to hide. In the meantime, you have Buster Keaton, who is standing on a moving train in the in the um, in the fuel box with a with an axe, cutting wood. While in the background, you are seeing. All of these Union soldiers. Uh, first, you see the Southern soldiers retreating. Right. And then you have the Union soldiers showing up, uh-huh. right? As soon as they're on the Union side, the guy, the Union officers in the other train stand up and they're like, yippee. And he has to now hide because he's now on the other side yeah. and he's seen the Union soldiers. So he's hiding down in the, in, the, in the engineer's box. Now, this whole time, the guy, the Union guys in the other train has thought that the other train has like they have like 30 soldiers and they're going to shoot us. Right. right. That's why they're making such an effort to get away cuz they think that they're being hunted down by like an army. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But then they see as they're going over a over a wooden bridge, they can see him and they see that it's one dude, right? And they're like, "Oh, it's one dude." And now things now things are bad, right? Because now they they have guns and they can kill him. <laughs> but what do they do what do they do to you? Um, I can't remember. They slow down to stop. Oh, they, they, yeah, they stop. To confront him. Yeah. And he gets off. After throwing rocks at him, I think, from the elevated position. Yeah. But he gets off the train. Yeah. And now he's in enemy country. He's in the Right. He he goes into the woods and hides. Yeah. And they let us know that he's helpless, cold, and horribly hungry. Um, but he comes up to a house, he looks inside, and there's food on the table. Right? Yeah. There's like leftover food. People have eaten, but there's still meat and apples and bread and stuff like that. And he comes in. He doesn't come in movie wet, does he, Steve? <laughs> no, he's so. You know how usually movie wet, you you know, he is completely drenched. He's soaked, yeah. And he's grabbing food off the table, and then a whole bunch of union guys come in. So he hides underneath the table, right? Yeah. And they're talking about their plans and what it is that they're going to do. And he's listening the whole time underneath the table while they kick him and <laughs> stuff like that. And burn him with a cigar because <clears throat> one of them has, their, has a cigar that burns through the tablecloth and burns Buster's arm. And... Yeah. And then he's there long enough for them to bring in their prisoner. Right. Which is... And their prisoner is the, is the lady. Yeah. Annabelle. And they're like, Annabelle. And they're like, put her up in a bedroom, keep her there. Right. 
I'm like, fine. They don't do anything untowards to her. At least these aren't cartoon villain no. Union soldiers, no. right? No, they're not caricatured like they were in Birth of a Nation. And so they go to sleep, right? Yeah. Now, did your movie have the um, have the different tints for night and day? Yes. The one that you watched? Yes. Okay. Um, as a general rule, if something's taking place during the day, you'll have the sepia tint. And if it's taking place at night, they give it a blue tint. Mm-hmm. And so on this, now it's nighttime, and we know because there's a blue tent. And um, he gets up there, sneaks in to his his girlfriend. Well, first, no, first he goes outside, and he knocks out a couple of guys, right? <laughs> yes. Um, he puts on the the uniform of one of them, so he can trick another one and knock him out. Then he busts into her room, dressed as a Union soldier. Thankfully, they avoid the, oh, no, it's a Union soldier bullshit. For terribly long. Yeah. And then he's like, no, it's me. I'm here to save you. Quick, let's run into the rain, directionless, and not know where to go. And like, Great idea. And we're like, great. And it's thunder and lightning, and they're falling over each other. And there's a bear. And, <laughs> and there's a bear that they have to run away from. And um, they finally, uh, they don't really find a place. They just kind of lay down. Yeah. In a weird way, right? They're holding each other. He's holding her, and he's kneeling holding her, and they fall asleep, right? Yeah. And the next morning, he's still kneeling holding her, and she wakes up. And I thought, no person could do that all night long. That's crazy. And the minute I say it, he starts stretching his legs out, trying to get the kinks out of them, (laughs) because he's the genius, Steve. (laughs) Because he's like, yeah, this would hurt. Yeah, because he's the genius. I, I, you don't have to fight me. The Buster Keaton was a genius. I, I and it's not 100%. a ten-minute working the kinks out of your legs scene. No, this movie had this movie had a plot, so he didn't spend a huge amount of time, you know, working on it. They go down, and there is a Confederate camp, and the can no, union there camp. is a Union camp, and the general is there. Yeah, so he's like, like, "There's my train. I need to get my train." So he decides, since he's dressed up as a unit soldier, he's going to put her in a sack. Yeah, he, finds a, he finds a big sack full of shoes, and mm-hmm. he empties it out, and he's like, get in the sack. So she gets in the sack. And, and he actually does it. He actually puts her in the sack. Yeah. And then picks her up and goes, in, goes into the camp. There's, okay. Thankfully, there's lots of guys, but he gets misdirected to load one of the freight cars. Right. With his sack full of girlfriends. <laughs> He does that, right? Yeah, he throws her onto one of the into the boxcar. Yes, he does. And then what happens? Um, then they, somebody throws like a crate or something in on top of her, mm-hmm. and uh, and then he he goes he goes up to the train. There's an officer in the in the engine, and he knocks that guy out, and yep. and, he, and he steals the train. And it's not just an officer; it's the dude that came up with the plan. Oh, that's right. It's the guy, yeah, the captain, well, Anderson, yeah, yeah who is yeah. So he's he's there. So Buster knocks him out, and he's laying there unconscious on the floor of the engine. And Buster, yep, steals the train. Steals the train. That's right. And then what happens? He's because well, there's a lot of stuff. Him falling over and him doing stuff. Yeah, and, and he uh, he friend. he pulls down one of the telegraph poles on the way out of town, and then uh, releases it to lay across one of the tracks so that it's like an right. obstacle to the train. There's a lot of, it's sort of, it's, it's basically the, the, the chase that we saw already, but in reverse where now it's Buster. But being in reverse chased. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And he throws stuff onto yeah. the track so that, you know, the, the union, when the union train gets moving, 
uh, it had they have to stop and have people go out and clear the tracks. Um, yep. He goes into the box car and finds Annabelle by stepping on her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and, and frees her from the sack. Uh, and then she helps him. But I mean, eventually, and, doesn't Annabelle? Yeah, Annabelle starts helping him too. Yeah. Yeah. They become like a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, they get back onto the train. They start heading. They start heading back to the south. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, you have the Union train with the bad guys on it. And yeah, there's a lot of throwing a lot of stuff on the tracks, like everything from the freight car yeah. goes out onto the tracks. Um, and doesn't the union guy who's on the floor of the train, does he get, no, he doesn't get up at any point. I think, that, I think there's one bit close to the end where he wakes up and then they knock him out again. But for the most part, he's just kind of no. laying there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a point. And then there's some. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there's a point where because he he's always worried about having enough firewood. So there's a there's a point where they're they're passing by a snake rail fence and he stops the train mm-hmm. to go out and grab. And there's some comedy bits where he's throwing the rails up into the car and one of them hits the other one and falls off. And while he's doing that, um, she gets the bright idea to take the rope that they had been using to haul the telegraph pole that they were dragging and she ties it between two trees that are on opposite sides mm-hmm. of the track so that when the, the union train comes through to chase them, it uproots mm-hmm. these trees. And then there's these trees underneath the, the train that they have to stop and clear out. So it's just, it's a lot of like yep. getting creative and coming up with obstacles uh, to mm-hmm. slow down the train behind them. But eventually the union guys get on his train, don't they? Uh, I thought they, I thought a bunch of union guys wound up getting on his train. I'm pretty sure. Maybe I'm wrong. Yes, that's right. Yes. Because a lot happens. There's so much packed into this. Yeah. Well, there's there there's the bit there's, where they where where there's like there's a little gag where like they're they stop at the water tower and and uh, he pulls the chain when the the pipe isn't hooked up and she gets all wet. Um, yep. Yeah. But we're still chasing. We're still in the mountains. It's so nice to see a movie that's not in, not set on a back lot <laughs> or in uh, or in freaking. Uh, Los Angeles, the Los Angeles desert. Yes. Pretending to be something else. Um, but then we have the elevated tracks, right? There's yeah. the elevated tracks theme where they're, where they're chasing each other. There's, oh boy, there's so much going on. He has to go out front and what does he do with the lamppost at the, at the front of the train? I can't. Oh, he, that's how he sets remember. the fire. That's he, he, uh, yes, he, he, takes, thank you. he takes the lamp out of the front of the train and that's what he uses when they get to the, to the bridge. He gets the idea of, okay, we'll cross this bridge and then I'll set the bridge on fire and then they won't be able to cross the bridge. And that's how he sets the fire with the fuel from the, from the lamp at the front mm-hmm. of the, at the, at the front of the engine. Yeah. Now, one of the things that he overheard while he was hiding in the, under the table was their plans for attack. Right. You know, coming up. Um, so the Union considers him a spy and they need to catch him. And um, so that's one of the reasons why he's trying to get away so desperately. Um, eventually, what's delaying the Union soldiers is he's done something fucked up to the tracks that they have to fix. And they're getting everything set up to set fire to the bridge so that the, tr- the train will crash, you know, once... Once it reaches it, and what happens, Steve? Uh, the well, there's there's a bunch of, you know, business with setting the bridge on fire. Um, yep. And I think there's there's one point where he gets he gets knocked off the train, and like she realizes that 
He's gone. So she backs the train yeah. up to go look for him. But he has at the same time run like down a hill to get ahead of the train. And by yep. the time he gets there, mm. she has backed the train up. So he has to, you know, there's all kinds of, of uh, hilarity about, you know, how he gets back on the train. Um, mm -hmm. And eventually the the Union troops managed to repair the broken switch uh, in front of their train. So they're pulling right. ahead and uh, their train crosses the bridge right mm -hmm. as it as it's on fire and the bridge and he murders people the bridge collapses and the train crashes into the river and yes presumably a bunch of people on that train are dead now that's right <laughs> <laughs> but the general makes it back home they jump up they tell her daddy who is a colonel some kind of officer yeah they rally the troops and they all race off right yeah no she just tells the general she tells the, the right? yeah because her dad is back home in a rocking chair because he's i don't know how he got hurt but he's hurt or something right yeah and everyone takes off except for johnny gray right right they cut to this huge scene where everyone's racing off to do stuff and um you know and once the street clears he's the only one there right yeah and this is when the bridge scene occurs, right? Yes. When the, this is when the bridge scene occurs. When the single train goes across, it crashes. And then there's a gigantic, you know, battle scene. And they fight, and they fight, and they fight, and they fight. And Buster Keaton's there. He eventually catches up. There's some soldier foo. He's standing there with the general. And um, what was it? He has, it was, a, he has a sword where the blade he, keeps coming off. Yep. And um, they eventually uh, blow the dam, which floods the river, which drives the Union soldiers back, and they all retreat. And I almost threw up. Um, <laughs> Buster Keaton grabs the rebel flag. He, he jumps up to the top of an outcropping of rock where he's holding the flag, but they only give him half a second of that because he's actually standing on, on top of a Confederate soldier that had fallen over. Right. And gets knocked down. So the guy stands up and Buster falls over, yeah. Yeah. Everybody returns home. Everyone's victorious. He sees the general there. He kind of dusts that off. He goes up into the cabin and he realizes, oh, yeah, we got a Union soldier here. <laughs> well, they may as well turn him in, I guess. He turns him into the, uh, into the general. There's a little thing where I, I'm, I'm relatively certain that there are... Uh, revisionists of history that masturbate to this scene because oh it's, yeah it's a union soldier a, a union general surrendering to someone who basically looks like robert e lee oh yeah um and you know surrenders his sword and uh then the general goes uh, is that your uniform and buster's like no it's not my uniform i had to get it to you know and he says take it off meanwhile within within view of his girlfriend and her father Right, mm -hmm. and she's like, "I was so moist for him when he was in the uniform, <laughs> but now it's it's drying off. The more clothes he removes, oh, he's just wearing his normal clothes and, now. That's not going to happen." Yeah, I hate it. But then the general gives him a coat of what rank? Lieutenant. Lieutenant. How about that? An officer. Right. And he gets a hat, and he gets a sword. Yeah. And now everyone loves him, and he can officially sign up for the for the draft. And yeah. He does it, and then he now they've been attempting to kiss. This whole movie. Yes. Right? Something that Charlie Chaplin never does in City Lights, <laughs> by the way. They go to the general. 
He sits her down on the, the connecting rig. And just as they're about to kiss, now that he's an officer, enlisted men have to salute him. And every time he goes to kiss her, another one passes by and he salutes them. Yes. And then another one passes by and he salutes them. And then he turns, he looks down the way and there's just <laughs> 40, 50 guys just marching. Everybody away. comes out of their tents and he's like, okay. Mm-hmm. So what does he do? He repositions her so that she is on the other side. So his saluting arm yep. is free and he can kiss her all he wants and just blindly salute with his other hand. As everybody walks by, he's just, that's right. He's just throwing out salutes like every second because people are walking by. That's so, right. Yeah. While sitting on, while sitting on the train, his other love, yeah. the general. Yeah. The end. The end. Steve. Yes. Tell me why this is a better movie than city lights. Oh, <sighs> See, you put me in a difficult position because I I don't think this is a better movie than City Lights, but... It is, but okay. But but I do think, as you know, I do prefer Buster Keaton to Charlie Chaplin if you put a gun to my head. Yes. Um, And and this... Boy, can I? (laughs) Say it! Um, And this, look, this, this is, if you want to show someone why Buster Keaton was a genius... This is the movie to show them. Um, really, I mean, there's, yep. there's not like a bad from from Keaton's golden period in the 20s. There's really not a bad movie. There's to not show really them. a bad movie. Yeah, I mean, he's just it's just one great film after another. But this this is except the one with blackface. But yeah, but even that is just one scene. I mean, and that's 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 college. Sure. The, in college is a great movie that which is what makes the blackface scene so you know, horrible. It's just like in the middle of this yeah. brilliant comedy It's like, Oh, there he is doing blackface. Jesus Christ. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, this Buster Keaton understood that the key to comedy was simplicity. Um, and his best gags are like well-told jokes. They're told mm-hmm. clearly and quickly. They're easy to understand. They require minimal setup. And once it's done, you need no further explanation. You know, um, he was the most technically sophisticated of the great silent yeah. comedians. And even even as someone like me who loves Chaplin, I will freely and, and willingly admit technically he is incredibly superior to Chaplin. Chaplin's filmmaking was focused on Chaplin's performance. Uh, and -hmm. everything else sort of orbited that Buster Keaton was a much more well-rounded filmmaker, uh, than, than Chaplin was. And his interest as a filmmaker was much broader. And, and he, and he was also an incredibly economical filmmaker throughout the general, as in all of Keaton's best work, you see, like he never takes three shots to do what he can accomplish in two. You know, he never takes, he doesn't linger. He never takes two shots to do what he can accomplish in one. Yeah, absolutely. There's and a bit that we mentioned and kind of moved past, but it's a good example of what I'm talking about. The gag right after he steals the general back and they're heading south when he he uh he ties a rope to a telegraph pole and pulls it out of the ground and drags it behind the train for a little bit and then he hits the rope with an axe and cuts the rope and the the telegraph pole is left laying across the track um the bit where he's dragging it and then he cuts it with the axe is all one shot and everything is framed just perfectly so you can see buster in the lower right hand corner with the axe and then every and it's a it's a it's a deep field so everything is in focus you can see everything happening and right when the 
the uh, pole is where it needs to be. He whacks it with the axe and cuts the rope. And then we see it laying there being left behind by the train and Buster drops the axe and walks out of frame and that's it. Um, and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's just an incredibly economical way to do that. You know, you could have done that with multiple shots, uh, but he knows how to do it in one shot and he gets everything framed just yeah. perfectly and boom, he always knows where to put the camera. He always knows where he needs to be in the frame for the gag to work. Um, everything is exactly where it needs to be and everything is as simple as it can be in order to get the point across. Um, and you see that not just in the execution, but in the premises of these gags too. Every gag and every bit feels like it comes naturally from the action. Um, Keaton was a genius at finding gags, you know, of, of yes. looking at what are the characters doing? What would they do in this situation? What can I have them do that makes sense in this situation that would be funny? Um, yeah. and because he's so good at that, you can have even sometimes really elaborate, silly bits that never feel contrived because it feels like, well, that's no. just something that happened as a result of what they were doing or where they were going. And when you really stop and think about it, it's stunning how straightforward this movie is. Uh, one train chases another in one direction and then for the second half of the movie, the second train chases the first train back in the other direction. Like that's the plot of the movie. And, mm -hmm. and the gags come from things that would logically happen during those events. And obviously it's done with a comedic eye and there's some absurdity and some silliness to it, but everything is rooted in stuff that the characters would have to do in that situation. Like they're, they're coming up with solutions to slow down the train that's chasing them or in the yep. first half to get things out of his way so he can keep chasing the train that he's chasing. Um, Keaton knows that, and he demonstrates that his great stone face persona is adaptable to almost any situation. Uh, yep. He gets bigger laughs from doing less than anyone else probably ever has in the history of movies. Um, that bit where we talked about at the beginning where he just gets rid of the kids by standing up and pretending to leave. And then as soon as they're out the door, he closes the door and goes back and sits down. That is one of the funniest bits in the entire movie. And one of the reasons that it's so funny is that he doesn't overplay it at all. He could have like really emphasized it. Like when they walk outside, he could have slammed the door and done like a little turn or done like a little mime move or something like, you know, honestly, Chaplin probably would have done something like that. He would have really put a, put an emphasis on when he slammed the door, like, aha, I've gotten rid of them, you know, and done like a little thing where he adjusted his coat and then marched out of frame. Keaton doesn't do any of that. He just closes the door like it's the most normal thing in the world. And that's what's uh -huh. funny about it. It's funny how matter of fact it is. You know, he, he gets him outside. He just closes the door, takes off his hat, goes back and sits down. And because he does it so matter of factly, it is fucking hilarious. Um... And he does that kind of thing all through the movie. He, he always seems like he's, he always seems like he as an actor is in control, even when his character is like hanging on by his fingernails. Um, mm -hmm. I know it's, and you know, to, on that subject, it's full of the kinds of, of crazy dangerous stunts that are Keaton's other trademark. You know, he doesn't, he, yeah. he doesn't do anything that is as like ostentatiously dangerous 
in this movie as he does with like the water rescue, the waterfall rescue and our hospitality yeah. or the house falling on him in Steamboat Bill Jr. But like you said a couple of times, like he is scrambling back and forth over the top of this moving train constantly. Mm -hmm. That is dangerous. You know, if if the the bit where he uses the one rail tie to knock the other one off, if the timing on that is not perfect, he's really messed up. Um, if Yes, he is when he's sitting on the side rail as the train is chugging along, like, yeah, if he's, if he's not perfectly positioned, that could be really bad for him. And even some of the stuff like, yeah. like when he take, there's a point early on when he's chasing after the train, when it's first stolen, where he's chasing after them on a bicycle and he takes a spill on the bicycle That's right. where he falls and rolls down a hill that looks fucking nasty. Like does not look yeah, like it, it felt good. Planned. It was totally planned. Yeah. yeah. But it's still, it's like, that's a, that's a stunt fall that does not look like fun. Um, and amidst all of that, he makes room for Mary and Mac as Annabelle to have her own comedy stuff and to show off her skill. Wow. I mean. Wow. He actually shared the spotlight. <laughs> Imagine that. He, wait, wait. She wasn't just dressing or. No, she has her own bits. For his work? No, she. She has her own bits. And she's funny. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she has yes, she, she has her own bits that she does. And she and Buster have a couple of, of you know, sort of uh, two-handed bits that they do that are some of the best comedy bits in the movie. Like, um, she has a thing. It's like a running theme with her where she has weird, she makes weird decisions about firewood. Like, there's a bit there when, when he's setting the, the bridge on fire and he's having her throw firewood to him from the, from the, the, the wood car to set the bridge on fire. Yeah. And there's one point where she throws him this tiny little stick of kindling That's and, right. and he throws it back at her. He's like, why mm -hmm. are you throwing me this tiny piece of wood? And he just catches it and whips it back at her. And it's so funny. Um, but he's letting her share the bit. Oh, yeah. There's a right? she gets a there's a bit where they're throwing fire into the throwing wood into the engine. And she finds a, mm -hmm. a piece of firewood with a knot hole in it. And she gets rid of it yep. like it wasn't good enough. <laughs> and he's like he gives he looks at her for a second like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. uh, so she, now she was a. Max Senate Bathing Beauty. Yeah. They were very popular to star in movies. Um, but I mean, she, she has stuff to do. Yeah. And she, and she's funny. She's just not passed out or, you know, she, some of the, or a blind girl who can't do anything. Some of the, <laughs> but you know, when you, some of the physical stuff she does while she's in the sack is really funny. I mean, she's, she gets, yes. she gets moments of her own to show that she's well, just her getting in the sack and he has to push her head in yeah <laughs> to close it um so yeah i mean the we've mentioned it a couple of times the fact that the movie is told from the confederate point of view is was um is distasteful it is it like it was a financial decision Ke keaton made that choice because he felt like it would help the movie's box office he, he he thought that you know especially in the south that audiences wouldn't want to see the south being portrayed as villains and this was after birth of a nation this is about 10 years after birth and of a nation yeah um, and so and you know it, that kind of sentiment was rife in movies and more than likely, someone said, "Hey, can we change it to the South because it'll sell right better?" And yeah. the view at the time was, "Oh, okay, fine." Well, because remember, like this was this was during a period in American history I where hate it. this was during a period in American history where the KKK the KKK was like having its all time high recruitment. You know what I mean? Like, and that's unfortunate. I hate it. I hate it too. I mean, I I wish it I wish it were 
other than that. You know what I mean? But that, yeah, yes. that was, that was the sentiment in the country. And that was a, it was a commercial decision. Um, yeah. So, and that is unfortunate. I will say this movie probably overcomes that problem as well, if not better than any other movie I've ever seen with the same problem. By having no black people in it. But, <laughs> except there, I think there's a, there's, there's of course a porter. There's a porter in like a crowd scene early on at one of the train stations. But yeah, sure. for the most part, there are no, there are no, there are no black characters in it. Um, the union soldiers, like we mentioned, are not caricatured. They're not turned into like, you know, stereotypical silent movie villains. They don't. They're not super villainy. They don't. Just, they don't you know. mistreat Annabelle after they capture her. You know, there's no. There's nothing that no, they're not portrayed like the the Union in Birth of a Nation is portrayed. Um, no, not at all. So they're 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 the opposition. They're the enemy, but they're not vilified overly so. And the movie is really about yes. the movie's about the train and the fate of the train is oh, of boy, more. You get it. Yeah, <laughs> the the fate of the train is a the movie is well named. Yes, it's it's, like, it's about the train, guys. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm sure some of it could be interpreted, and some of it was probably welcomed by like lost cause people, you know, who just wanted sure. who just wanted excuses to spank it to the south and the lost cause, and you know, <laughs> oh look, a Union general surrendering to a Confederate general, yay! But but it doesn't feel like it's ideological in that sense. It doesn't feel like Keaton is intending yeah. to make like a lost cause apologia. So that helps. Um, no, he's not. And and yeah, you know, uh, it's it's a really like you said. How did this movie not make money? It's it's a really exciting action movie with some incredible mm -hmm. stunts. Uh, it looks great. It's shot almost entirely on location or in the town that they built on location. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's not, it, it's not backlot or soundstage based at all. Mm -hmm. um, you can see, you can see the money on screen. It does look like a very expensive silent movie, which it was. It's, in, sure. it's incredibly inventive. It's incredibly funny. I watched this. I watched. That isn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's not four hours long. No, it's, it's, you know, an hour and a quarter. It's almost a hundred years old. I watch it. Yeah. And I laugh like an idiot. Like it is so funny. Mm -hmm. It's Keaton's last independent film. It's his second to last really great film because he did make the cameraman after this, his first film for MGM, which yeah. I also think is a masterpiece, although not as good as this, it but is. still just brilliant. And it's, I mean, it's, it's one of the best of all the silent comedies. It's one of the best movies, period. I, it's, I, I yep. can't recommend it any higher than that. It's fantastic. So your turn. Yay, my turn. I'm kind of glad we're doing Keaton because I love Jessica posing Keaton against Chaplin. I just, I love doing It's hard it. to avoid, especially when you Simply hate Chaplin as much as you do. I <laughs> But one of the things that you pointed out, and, and you know, aside from the... It being set in the Confederate South, I ugh, yeah, ugh. <laughs> um, you're right about how the gags are created compared to City Lights. There's a lot of gags in City Lights that if the movie didn't have them, the movie wouldn't be terribly long. There's a good example. There's a whole gag of him getting off a statue at the beginning. It takes five fucking minutes mm -hmm. for him to do it. Right then, after that, it's him walking down the street and looking at a statue. Is this progressing the plot? No. Did the previous scene progress the plot? No. They're just gags, right? And the movie is replete with all of these gags. If he didn't have the drunken suicidal millionaire 
half of this movie would be gone. Yeah. Because he would, they would have to be coming up with even more contrived things for him to have to do in order to fill out the movie. Nothing is stopping the plot of this movie from going forward. Right. Including the gags. They wrote it. They said, okay, this is going to happen. Then they're going to have a chase. Then they're going to have a chase. Then they're going to reverse it, and they're going to chase them back. There's going to be a thing. You know, the two sides, all that other stuff. He gets a uniform. They get to make out at the end. Now, let's figure out the gags. What can we do? And the difference between Keaton is that Keaton will find the humor in something that's already set up that doesn't delay the, the, the plot of the film and is related to the plot of the film. Right. So you never lose that linear thrust, right? This is one of those movies that when the main action takes off, it just takes off. It's a chase to one end, get the girl, go to sleep, get back in a train and chase right back to the other, right back in the other direction. And they're not stopping for 15 fucking minutes for a cigarette gag or something just in, you know, some fucking bullshit. Right. When he's having to cut up the railroad ties, right. He has those long, big planks that he's cutting up for more fuel for his, for his engine. And behind him is that huge vista of retreating federal, uh, Confederate soldiers and advancing then the advancing human uh, Union army. You go, Jesus Christ. So, number one, they had to plot so that they made sure that the train was on the tracks going at this speed. Behind them, we had to let everyone know without radios. Yeah. With bullhorns. Yes. Get ready. We're going to do the shot. And then get the other camera on top of either an, an adjacent train, which I don't think they had, or a truck. So the cameraman is shooting the train and the background all in focus. Yep. And Keaton is on top of a moving train, jostling back and forth, trying to cut up that wood with an axe. Yeah. Just for that shot. Just for that shot. Chaplin didn't think that way. He thought of gags. And that was it. Oh, this gag will be funny, and this gag will be funny, and this gag will be funny. Now, what kind of plot do we have? Uh Uh-uh. That's not how you make a movie. Well, you wind up with a bunch of gags and barely any plot for you to follow. You could easily forget what the plot was in City Lights if you were following, you know, if you were, oh, no, now he's, okay, he he was nice to that flower girl, and now he's hanging out with this millionaire. And you're like, where is this going? How does this tie in? Well, eventually it gets, you know, don't worry. Don't worry. Our 10 minutes of plot, well, you'll see. You have to just endure the him eating string scene or the the, the party scene or him trying to (laughs) scoop cheese off of a bald man's head. And it's like, or that time that he swallowed a whistle and he keeps hailing a cab because he's hiccuping. You know, all that stuff that fed the plot of the main story, which it didn't. In this one, they literally said, okay, we have this plot. We have two trains. What can we come up with? Right. That's creativity. That's real genius. What's not genius is coming up with a gag and having nowhere to put it. And you're like, okay, well, we'll just kind of, we'll slide it in here. It'll be funny. It'll make the film 10 to 15 minutes longer. Hey, how about if we repeat it five times? Oh, that'll be even greater. <laughs> if we can repeat the same gag five times in a row, how many times, and I don't just get keep Bagging on City Lights. How many times did they do the cigar gag? Where he thinks that the cigar 
Well, they have the cigars mixed up because they're sitting next to each other. Oh, yeah. And he keeps trying to light his cigar. And then it's the other guy who pulls it away. Yeah. And it's the other guy. Exactly. And he brings it back up and he tries it again and they move it away. How many times did they repeat that? Oh, three, four, five easily. Yeah. Right. How many times did he repeat the gag where he got the kids out of the house? Oh, just that once? Once. It was once, yeah. Just that once. It didn't turn into an extended gag where he... Lays his head, they go outside, and then they come back in again when he thinks they're outside. And he goes, oh, the kids. And then it turns into this little, this beat that's 15 minutes long where he's trying to get kids out of the house. I could see the spots where in another person's hands, this would have become just as gag-ridden and repetitive as some other films. But he doesn't do it because to him, the story is important. It's not just that many of his gags are so complicated and dangerous that they're either going to get it on the first take or he's going to die. And that's the only... Or he's going to become injured, you know. And so they're only going to do it once. But he also maintains that with the little gags, the little physical gags that he has to go through. Sure. You know, that aren't life, that don't endanger his life, you know. I thought for a second we're going to get a repeat gag when he was knocking out the guys outside of the house. But he doesn't. He, He knocks one guy out. He puts on his uniform, and then he does a different gag. I love the gag when he just, <laughs> what does he do? He convinces the guy to turn around, and as he's walking off, he just takes his gun and he just hits, he just cracks him in the head with the his gun. Top of yeah, the head. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's what's great. The bear gag didn't go on forever. You know, she runs away. She sees the bear. She screams and she runs off. He runs up, sees the bear, gets confused as to where she is, <laughs> while the bear is coming up behind him. And he goes, and he stops for a second to think about where she went, and then he remembers that there's a bear behind him, and then he runs yeah. off too. Funny. And it didn't turn into a thing. It didn't turn into a, a an extended 20-minute no. bear hijinks bullshit. Nope. You, know? you know, a lot of people said, you know, the problem with Keaton is that he never came up with a character that he could repeat. I'm glad. He kind of did. He was known as the old It's a similar face. persona, yeah, but he's not literally supposed to be but the same person. But I think person. that worked to his advantage because his stone face is kind of like a Kubachoff test. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's the correct word. I don't know if that's the correct name, but basically in film, um, it was, you do, they have this picture of some German guy. He's kind of kind of a neutral expression on his face. And you interpret yeah. the expression on his face based on what is shown either before or after. You cut to the shot of the face. So the way they, they show that is you can make it look like he's hungry, even though the picture is exactly the same by sh- having him looking at food yeah. or having him look at somebody dead or having him look at a pretty girl. All of you, you the audience, puts those emotions onto that expression. And I know I'm doing it with him. Oh, of course. The, the moment that I laugh so damn hard... When the, <laughs> when the freight car that's in front of him has disappeared. And he's doing some stuff, and he's doing some stuff, and then he pops up in the window, and he looks. Yeah. And, and it's back. It's gone. It's gone. And he's like, what happened and, here? And, and what happened? But you're putting that on yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. He's just, I'm not saying he's not a good actor. He oh, is. he's a brilliant he actor. Emotional states he's a brilliant actor. One of the things he does is, he, he, because he keeps his face the same, it, he never overplays anything. That's right. And that's crucial. He's not an exaggerate. He's not exaggerated. Yeah. He's not exaggerated. You can tell when he's frustrated. You can tell when he's when he's happy. You can tell all of these things, but he uses his stone face at right. The, he doesn't overuse it right at the right time. And boy, is that the right time when yeah. he just looks out that window and it's gone, and you just laugh 
and laugh and laugh because he let you know what happened to it, but you know he doesn't. Yeah. And those those gag setups still didn't stop the plot, did it? No. It didn't slow anything down. No. There's a lot going on in this movie, and that's what I like about him. He's nimble as an editor. He's quick. He's quick as a director and as a and um, with the screenplay. The characters are all fairly decent. He only gives those enough. And boy, compare the women that typically appeared in a Chaplin film to this one lady in this one movie (laughs) and how much stuff she's given. Because she starts off as the girlfriend, then the thing to rescue. But once she's rescued, they have to work together to get back. She just doesn't get forgotten, you know? He doesn't sit her down and say, stay here while I do all the stuff. He works her into the gags. They get him back home. Do I agree with the motivation, which is you're not getting my, you know, you're not getting in this unless you're, unless you're, you know, in the army, unless you have a uniform. I'm not really terribly into that, but I appreciate the fact that she just doesn't fucking disappear for 40 minutes out of the goddamn yeah. movie because we're more concerned with other gags. City Lights, you forgot, sometimes you forgot there was even a flower girl until he brings it up, <laughs> right? Until he shows up at her house. Here's some money. Hey, audience, remember, I'm in love with her or something. And okay, bye. And now I'm going to go fuck around with an elephant and go boxing. And, you know, all of the other stuff, get chased by the cops. Um, and then I'll come back. And she's like, oh, and she's... I don't rem- I don't have a memory of her walking. I know that she did <laughs> because she was selling flowers. Um, but most of my memory of her is just sitting and not with Marion. I remember her being an active participant in the storyline. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. So S- Steve? Yes. Classic? Oh my god, yes. Classic among classics. Yeah. yeah. Classic. Yeah, for sure. It's small wonder that Chaplin kind of diminished after a while, as we became slightly more cynical, slightly more discerning, the sweetness of Charlie Chaplin's movies kind of started to feel disingenuous. Yeah. But well, in the 60s, Keaton came roaring back. Ke- and everyone started appreciating his films and his work. He never stopped working. Oh, no. He never stopped being a name. He was on TV and a whole bunch of other stuff in the 1950s, yeah. 1940s. He was still working. He wasn't... Capital B, capital K. He wasn't Buster a star, King. but yeah. Um, and, yeah. He would, and he would pop up in things every now and then. He had that little brief role in Sunset Boulevard. And, and he, he, wor- he did work with Chaplin on screen once in Limelight, um, where they, ha- they have yeah. a bit that they do together. That's the best part of that movie. Because even as, even, as even as a Chaplin fan, I, it's, hard to, it's, it's hard to defend. Pretty much his, his work <laughs> after The Great Dictator... It, goes on a pretty steep slope downwards as far as quality. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, um, but yeah, I think Keaton had the advantage too that again, I, I, I love Chaplin's work, but Chaplin's work to our modern sensibilities seems a lot more old fashioned than Buster Keaton's does um, because mm-hmm. of Chaplin's style, because of Chaplin's focus that he w- he made the movies based on his performance and his bits and everything else was kind of there to support him. Whereas Keaton was a much more holistic filmmaker. And like you said, his gags and his features, his gags don't slow down the plot. It does feel like he started with a story and then built gags around the story as opposed to the other way around. Like it just, it feels a lot, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's much more compatible with, 
a modern sensibility. You know, it doesn't feel old fashioned. Yeah. It feel it still feels contemporary, and that is a big help uh, to Chaplin when he was rediscovered. People were like, because you watch it, or, or to, to Keaton, excuse me, like you watch a Keaton movie, and you're like, this doesn't. I mean, other than the fact that it's a silent movie, it, it sure. doesn't really feel like an old movie. You know, the way no. it's put together, no. the way it, the way it, the way that there are some things in there that will remind yeah. you that it's an older movie, but. As a general yeah. rule, no. And, and Chaplin doesn't have that, that general advantage. Rule. Chaplin's movies feel like movies from the, the 10s and the 20s and the 30s, and Keaton's don't. I'm just going to put it out there. No Buster Keaton, no Indiana Jones. Oh. Especially the first few movies. Sure. Well, no Buster Keaton, no Jackie Chan. I mean, Jackie Chan has has, has sure. said Buster has Keaton. Has openly stated, yeah. yeah. And you can see it. Like, yeah. even if he didn't, even if he didn't say it, you can see it. You can see it in, in a lot of J- mm-hmm. Jackie Chan's fights. And and even not the one the 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 set pieces in Jackie Chan movies where yeah maybe there's a fight going on but there's also a lot of physical comedy going on around built into the fight like yes. you can say you can okay this guy has watched his Buster Keaton <laughs> you know and took notes yeah because he knows how to sell it the greatest thing about Buster Keaton is he's doing outrageously dangerous things but boy you wouldn't know it by looking he at him he makes it look easy yeah he makes it look yeah. easy he's in character yeah. and. Um, you know, all of the dangerous stuff he doesn't outline, point out, or, you know, highlight, right? There would be an easy visual way when, for example, when his foot is caught in, caught on the, the cannon car, and mm-hmm. the cannon car is moving away from him, and he's getting pulled off the train. They could have cut to, oh, the, they could have cut to a shot of the, the tracks moving by at increasing speed. Yeah. They could have done a close-up of his hands or whatever, but instead, it is... A, a slight bit that he then gets out of. Then he gets his foot. Right after that, he gets his foot tangled up in the chain. Yeah. So he can't get away from the the cannon is still pointed directly. <laughs> at him. And he's trying to shake the chain off of his foot while on a moving train, on top of one of the most unstable things you can stand on, which is a pile of fucking <laughs> a pile firewood. of firewood on the on, on a car and the being dragged by a train. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but it's not slowing down the 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 linear thrust of the story. It is in service of the story. Yeah. Rather than the other way around. Yeah. Where the story is in service of the gag. And that's not really a great way no. to make well and to make a movie. That's why so many of their movies are shorts. Because all it is is Well the and gag. I was just you 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 got where I was gonna where I was gonna go there. The, the one of the most impressive things about Keaton creatively is um like most of his contemporaries as silent comedians, like he was not exactly thrilled when he when he realized he had to move into making features after making shorts for all those years, because because yeah. Keaton loved coming up with gags, and he I mean yeah, in, he in, in, you know that that's what he did later in his career after his mm-hmm. career as an actor kind of fizzled out. He worked as you know writing gags for other people's movies, and. Uh, you know, so he loved coming up with gags and he was great at it. And he loved doing those shorts because the shorts could be just gag, 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 gag. And it's only, it's, you know, a 20, 30 minute movie. So this, if you're telling any kind of a story, it can, it can just be a very simple one. But he realized when he came to the point of his career where he was like, okay, they want me to make features. I have to tell stories now. And he and mm-hmm. he chose himself, even though he still at this point in his career, he still had complete creative control. He realized on his own, OK, now I need to put the story first. If we're going to make a movie where yep. we're going to expect people to sit there and watch our movie for an hour and a half, the story has to come first and we have to build the gags into the story. And, you know, so knowing that he was going against his own preference, but that he realized that's mm-hmm. what that format needed, I mean, is 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 incredibly right. impressive. 
Yeah. So, good. Classic. Steve, Classic. do you have something to not recommend? I do. Actually, want, the movie I'm going to not recommend is one of those movies where Buster Keaton was writing the gags. Um, unfortunately, the movie itself is not all that great. It was one of Keaton's... Uh, what well, one of the sad parts of Keaton's later career was that you know he was arguably the greatest living genius in movie comedy, and and yep. to earn a living he was writing gags, often uncredited, um, for the films of far far lesser talents. Um, yes, like Red Skelton. I have nothing. Good night and God bless. I have nothing against Red Skelton. Red Skelton seems like he was a he was an okay dude. He was a clown. Sure. He was a, he was a clown. You know, he was a clown. Yeah. He's he, usually as a performer, he is not my cup of tea. He's way, he's everything that Keaton wasn't. He's way too broad. He's way too needy as a, as a performer. You know, he's, he's lots, yeah. he works up a sweat trying to get you to like him and to get you to laugh. And, and Keaton never did that. But uh, there's, uh, there's actually a Red Skelton movie that is an even more loose adaptation of the story that was the basis for the general. And it's called a Southern Yankee. Uh-huh. And it was oh, made boy. in 1948. So about 20 years after the general. And it's about Red Skelton playing a, a guy who becomes a spy for the union and infiltrates the Confederacy and wants to steal Confederate secrets to take them back to the union so that the union can win the war. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Buster Keaton worked on it behind the scenes and wrote a lot of the gags and um it's you know it's it's a red skelton comedy and if you are like a huge fan of red skelton you might enjoy it i personally am not a huge fan of red skelton so you know it's 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 not it's just it's no fun for me to watch a movie and watch a guy who was not nearly the talent that buster keaton was either in front of the camera or behind the camera take part in gags that i know buster keaton came up with for him to do but that Buster Keaton himself could do way better if he was the guy in the movie instead of Red Skelton. If he was doing them. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's sort of like, it's not like, it's not. Yeah, Red Skelton was basically a Buster Keaton cover band. Yeah, with a, with a, some Chaplin mixed in. It was it was yeah. Chaplin's, and I, be, I believe, I, I, don't, I don't think Red Skelton was anywhere in the same class as either Chaplin or Keaton. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he, 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 like I said, he was a clown and, and, you know, you could, you, Chaplin had clownish tendencies. Um, Ke- sure. and, I mean, Keaton would sometimes refer to himself as a clown, but, but he, he was really as far wasn't. away from a clown yeah, as you yeah, can Yeah, he get. really yeah. wasn't. You know, like Buster Keaton once famously said near the end of his life when he had been rediscovered and people were hailing him as a genius, he said, you know, how can a man in a flat hat and slap shoes be called a genius? You know, he was, he was, always, <laughs> he was always very modest about his work. But, Self, he was very modest. But, something he does not share in common with <laughs> something Charles, that Chaplin, Chaplin something that Chaplin was definitely not I, I I feel Charlie Chaplin entered a room and said wait the genius is around I feel like Charlie Chaplin was the kind of guy that when he became a movie star when, when he first became a massive star in like the in like 1912 or 1913 his or maybe more like 1914 or 1915 but early in, as soon as Chaplin became a massive movie star I feel like his reaction was probably something like well it's about time <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> like he, he, he just assumed that he was a genius and he deserved to be a star. And Keaton was very much, oh, yeah. very much the opposite. But yeah, so my not recommendation is a Southern Yankee, a, a movie that Buster Keaton worked on, but the gags were not performed by Buster. They were performed by Red Skelton. So there you go. Yay. Okay, as you guys know, I like to not recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed, and I'm not going to recommend The Jazz Singer. Good night, everybody. <laughs> oh, that's right. This way it was 27 when the move when it came out. It was 27. Yeah. Now, The Jazz Singer is well known for what, Steve? For being the first movie with a synchronized soundtrack where you had synchronized dialogue. Yeah. Was it? Because it was mostly just the song. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's called the first talkie, but it's not actually a talkie all the way through. There's just a couple of segments that are the, the talkie segments. And how many of those songs are in blackface, Steve? Uh, I think all but one. Right? Too many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, the first star of talkies was Al Jolson, who was a blackface yes. vaudeville performer. Oops. Mm, singing jazz. Sorry, America. We suck. Sorry, our America. first talking, our, Sorry our first talking movie star was a blackface talking. performer. <laughs> Aside from that, I don't like the music. I don't like the story. It's about you know Jewish kid who wants to sing jazz, but his parents want him to sing Jewish songs. Yeah, but he gets over it and he becomes a jazz singer. The end, and, and you get to see him in his, blackface. Yeah, a and lot. his parents see him singing jazz in blackface, and they're so proud. We've already told you everything you need to know about the jazz singer. Is that it was the first sound movie that's it it signifies a change in hollywood and how movies are made yeah. and that's it's it. actually it doesn't necessarily it's one of those it's yeah. one of the few like genuinely important historical films that i honestly think people don't have to watch for any reason like be, because yeah, yeah the, just the fact that it has synchronized sound is the thing because there's really very little artistically Val valuable about the film i mean with the birth of a nation you can at least say like birth of a nation is is absolutely repugnant but it does have technical advancements that if you are interested in film as a storytelling medium you should at least watch it once just to see it even though it's horrible but the jazz singer <laughs> the jazz singer like there's really no you've we can tell you why it's important and that's really. it <laughs> you know? hey steve yes jason Now's the time for you to make a terrible choice. It is, isn't it? Yeah, but this time the terrible choice is going to be for our <gasps> Christmas commentary Yay, track. I love when we do our Christmas commentary track. It's our special episode. I have selected three movies okay. that we are going to provide a commentary track for, like we do every yes. Christmas. Steve does not know what these movies what? are, and he has to make a terrible selection between the three. And we're running low <laughs> In the Santa bin <laughs> for Christmas movies. The toy sack is almost empty. One of these I don't want him to pick. Another one I'm okay if he picks it. And there's a third one that I hope he picks. But oh, okay. we'll see. We'll see what fate has in store for us. Will Santa guide his hand? We don't know. Let's find out. Steve, <laughs> you have to choose A, B, or C. You just, okay, I'm... Before I tell you my choice, you know that since you said there is one that you don't want me to pick, you know that that's definitely the one I'm going to pick, right? Please, I hope I don't either. I hope I don't no. either, but you know this is out of my hands. I know it's out of your hands. Okay, Come okay, on. okay. I am choosing C. C, okay. Okay. All right. I feel like that was not the one you didn't want me to pick from your reaction. I didn't realize that this was a Christmas a classic until the last couple of years okay. when uh, everyone had, keeps bringing it up at Christmas time. So, okay. 
Had you chosen A, we would have reviewed Gremlins. Oh. Which is a Christmas movie. Yes, it is. Had you chosen B, we would have reviewed The Santa Claus. Oh, I'm glad I didn't choose B. But you chose C, a relatively new classic, but it's still a classic, and perhaps the only Will Ferrell movie that will outlive him. (laughs) The movie we're going to review for the next, for our commentary track, and it's a movie that I haven't seen in a good long Mm -hmm. time. We're going to review Elf. Elf. So I was going to tell you if you wanted to get all the jokes to watch the movie, but now you can just watch it with us as we react. That's right. To Elf. That's the whole point. That John. You watch it with us. The John Favreau film yeah. that I think got him Iron Man. Yeah. No, I think that was Zathutra. Zarusa. That one. Zasa. Zasa. Zathru. Not Zathrus. That's the Babylon Five guy. Zathrus. was not directed by John Favreau. It was the sequel to Zarathustra or but something. But not being... Z- I don't know. It's, it's not, not Zarathustra, but it's, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's Zazupis. Zazupis. <laughs> it's one of... It's, that one. But it was the sequel to Jumanji without being a direct sequel to yeah. Jumanji. Yeah. Same Very premise, similar premise. Different yeah. different yeah. game. Yeah. Right? It's fun. It's, it's fun. fun. Yeah. It had goopy monsters in it. Anyway, that's it. Thanks, guys, for listening to another episode of Late Seating. For Late Seating, this is Jason Harding, and see a movie this week. <sighs> and this is Steve Shives. If you lose this war, don't blame me. <laughs> Why can't I blame you? Because it won't be my fault. How do you know it's not I'm your just, fault? It could well, no, be I'm, but fault. I'm telling you it won't be my fault. I'm saying, to, actually, you know what? No, that's not even what I'm saying. I'm saying even if it is my fault, don't blame me. Well, I'm going to blame you whether it's your fault or well, not. That, that's the opposite that? of what I'm asking you. Blame you. <laughs> that's the opposite of what I'm asking. You're only of you. asking me. It doesn't mean I have to but, do it if we lose. Okay, the war. but you're my friend. They're going to be looking for a head to chop, and I'm going to offer up your head. What if you don't have to? What if? Well, I mean, look. Okay, if it was like you give us someone to blame, or we're going to chop your head off, then like right. I can understand. It's so fucked up because I'm getting my head chopped. I'd be off. like, right yeah, this way. I got just the guy for you. <laughs> but if it's not like me or you. Like, why would you offer me up on a plate if you didn't have to? Tell me again how uh, Charlie Chaplin's a genius. Oh, I see how it is. I see how it's like a transaction here. Okay, I got you. Defend him okay. again. Dude. I, you, know, I, you know I prefer Buster Keaton. You know that, right? I know you do. I know you do. I do. I, know. I do. I Sherlock know. Jr. is my favorite movie, not City Lights. I know it's your favorite movie of it all is. time. It is seen it a million I've, billion times I, I see it in my brain movies every time i go to sleep <laughs> play it in my head my brain you're is that what you're well, what, 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 no movies? what was it in uh in um tropic thunder my head movies that's what simple jack said <laughs> i'll see you tonight mama in my head movies my head movies <laughs> <sighs> all right everybody thanks bye people bye Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. 
Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Let Me Listen. And thanks for listening.